All right, well, welcome again to H2O. It's great to have you here with us today. We are excited to be together. I want to give a special welcome to H2O Akron, who's joining us via video today as we are kicking off this new series. We are starting a series today where we are going to be looking at the book of Psalms. And we got really creative with the title of this series, and we decided to call it Psalms. And, um, uh, we're excited because the Psalms are, are this amazing collection of poems and songs that were written thousands of years ago, but they help us to connect with God, and we thought it would be fitting as well, especially coming off the Rhythm Series, if you were with us in January, where we talked about spiritual disciplines and what it looks like to pray and to seek God and to connect with God, to follow that up with going to a place in Scripture that specifically shows us how to pray. And so we're really excited as we kick off this series. We think that there's going to be a lot of good stuff to learn because the Psalms teach us so much. They teach us to be occupied with God. They teach us to praise God. They teach us to trust God. They teach us to value God and to practice both public worship, which we do as we gather together in these types of spaces. And also they teach us to practice private devotion as we get alone with God and we seek him and we pour our hearts out to God. And so oftentimes the Psalms, they're personal and they show us how we can take everything that we have to God and interact with him in a way where he truly wants to connect with us. You know, there's, there's been uh, Christians over the years who have been drawn to these writings, and, and so much has been written about the importance of them. Uh, John Stott, he's an author and a, a pastor who just actually passed away recently, and a, a teacher, and he, he says this about the Psalms. He says, the reason why Christian people are drawn to the Psalms is that they speak the universal language of the human soul. Whatever our spiritual mood may be, they are sure, there's sure to be a psalm which reflects it, whether triumph or defeat, excitement or depression, joy or sorrow, praise or penance, wonder or anger. And so as we come to these psalms, I want you to know that no matter what space you find yourself in in life, this is a psalm and a series that should connect with you because they connect with all of us on all different levels. There are 150 different individual psalms that kind of come together in the middle of the Bible to make up this, this collection of, of prayers. And there's a wide range of emotions. And, and there's so much so that the uh, theologians and, and authors, they've kind of tried to categorize these 150 different psalms and tried to help us figure out how each one of them may directly speak to a different area of life that we're, that we're in during that time. And so we're having seven different weeks throughout this series and we're going to try to hit some of the different categories of psalms. And so as we walk through this series, we're going to see the different types. One of the types of a psalm is a lament where we cry out to God and we tell him what's on our heart and maybe even our disappointments and, and our sorrow and our pain. And we, we come before God and we're honest with him. And we're going to talk about lament psalms later on in this series. Some of the, the types of psalms are celebration or worship. Some of them are wisdom. One of the psalms that we'll look at today is a wisdom psalm, which teaches us the deep truths about God and how it interacts with our world. There's psalms of thankfulness. There's prophetic psalms that point us towards Jesus. Every psalm points us towards Jesus, but there's some that very directly point us towards Jesus that are then later referenced in the New Testament. But the Psalms answer the question, how do we pray real prayers? 
And what does it look like to connect with God? And so this series will almost be a sampler. We didn't want to go 150 weeks. There's 150 psalms. We thought that that might be a little bit long. There's other sections of scripture we want to cover. We're going to do seven weeks. And it's kind of like going to your you know, favorite restaurant. And you, you can't decide what to order. So you, you get a sampler. And you get to taste some of your favorite things, some of the best. And, and you get a little bit of a taste uh, of what that place has to offer. That's what we're hoping to do with this series, with the psalms. And, and really wet all all of our appetites to dive in privately as well to seeking God. And so we thought it'd be fitting today to start with, with Psalm 1 and, uh, and, and look at what the, the pages of this Psalm 1 have to, to teach us and to tell us. And so here's the big idea before we jump into Psalm 1. It's one of the, the most famous psalms and it's so insightful. And the big idea, if we could boil Psalm 1 down into kind of one sentence, it's this. It's that following God leads to abundant life. But disobeying God leads to pain. Following God, it leads to abundant life. But disobeying God will lead us to pain. And it will lead us to destruction. And throughout this psalm, throughout Psalm 1, as we kick off this series, we're going to see a contrast. We're going to see a comparison between those who follow God and those who listen to his word and those who love his law and those who choose to walk away from him and those who choose to follow their own way. And we're going to compare and contrast and see what the outcome of those decisions are. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, whatever way that you open up the Word uh, with us here today, you can jump on those or you can open up the pages of the Bible and we're going to be in Psalm 1. And we're going to start looking at the first couple verses. We'll stop a couple times and we'll pull up pieces that we think that we can learn from. So Psalm 1, verse 1, it says this. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on it day and night. And I want to stop right there because I think it leads us to our, our first point. And our first point is this, that following God leads to true happiness. Following God leads to true happiness. That, that word blessed where it says, blessed is the one who, who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. That word blessed in the Hebrew can literally be translated happy or joyful. So you could read it. Happy is the person who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. And as you read the Bible and, and the pages, not just in the Psalms, but throughout the pages of the Bible, this idea of blessing or joy or happiness continually comes up over and over and over again. That word joy is used about 150 times in the Bible. That word blessed, that Hebrew word that we see here uh, in Psalm 1, it's used over 600 times in the Bible. And so this concept of the idea that people who follow God have this joy, this contentment, this happiness is consistently brought back and forth to us as we read the pages of Scripture. And I think that it's so interesting because if you look at our world, and if you look at our culture, and, and you, you hear what oftentimes is being said within our world, our world is obsessed with that, this idea of happiness as well aren't we? You know, oftentimes the pages of Bible, the Bible talk about things that, that every single human is longing for deep down, but we are obsessed with trying to find happiness in our world, aren't we? we, we we've invented a phrase, and I, I bet you can almost just fill it in. If, if I said, I just want you to be, you would probably say, happy, you know, and, and that's kind of like a phrase that, that's just a blanket statement of if, if we know somebody, I, hey, just do it. I want you to be happy, 
You know, I, we, we long for this happiness so much, and, and we're looking for it, and we're searching for it, and yet at the same time, we're trying to answer the question, is it really even possible to be happy? Because if we're really honest, even though we long for it so much, and even though we want it so much, oftentimes it seems so elusive to us. That's why we have to say, I just want you to be happy doesn't seem like you are, but, I, but I, I want you to be. That's my desire for you. Think about even all the, the, the different fields that, that we have. Much of psychology and sociology, even biochemistry, they've been built around answering the question, are we happy? And if not, why not? And is it even possible to be happy? In fact, I was, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. Just think with me just for a minute. Think about when the Psalms are written 3,000 years ago, about, let's say. Okay, think of the world during that time. Think, think about 3,000 years ago, all right? Electricity wasn't really discovered yet. Uh, indoor plumbing didn't exist. Obviously, there were no cars. Uh, medicine was way different. Obviously, there were no planes. Life expectancy was way shorter. The idea of heating something was, was much harder. I mean, you didn't have that many options. Life was pretty hard 3,000 years ago. I think we would all agree with that. But it's interesting because if you read the, the writings of our ancestors, people who wrote thousands of years ago, and you compare them to our writings now, it would be hard to make an argument that we're any happier now than humanity was 3,000 years ago, wouldn't it? Our world has gotten so much easier. Our world has gotten so much better in so many ways, and yet if you look at the human heart, if you look at how content and how happy we are, it would be really hard to make a case that we are actually any happier. I mean, we have iPads, we have laptops, we have cars, we have phones that, that we spend a lot of time on. We have heated seats in the front and heated seats in the back and heated mirrors on our cars as well, right? I mean, we have any type of food that we could possibly imagine. The poorest person in this world eats better than the richest person 3,000 years ago would have eaten, right? At least in America. And yet, we're wondering, where is that happiness? All these things that our world has produced, shouldn't have it made us more content as a society? Shouldn't have it made us more joyful? And yet it's caused us to ask this question, is it even possible to find this happiness that the Bible talks about? But is it real? Is it, is it even out there? Is it possible to find? But here's the cool thing. This psalm is a wisdom song. And so it tells us it actually is possible. Don't lose hope. It actually is possible. Let's read it again. Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but happy is that person who doesn't do those things, and here's why they're happy. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, in God's word, and they meditate on it day and night. See, here's the good news. The, the, Happiness and contentment, it is possible, but the secret is, this is why it's a wisdom psalm, the secret is that happiness isn't found in, in, in our stuff, in how easy we can make life, in, in our circumstances, or even our experiences. Happiness is found in seeking God. Happiness is found in finding God, in delighting and knowing Him, in studying and loving His Word. Man, that is so wise, and it's so true as we look at our world. Spurgeon, he says it like this. 
He's talking about Psalm 1, and he says, It's not blessed is the king, or blessed is the scholar, or blessed is the rich, but it's blessed is the man. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the man or woman. Spurgeon goes on to say, Blessedness is obtainable by the poor, by the forgotten, by the obscure. It is just as obtainable for them as it is by those whose names figure in history and are trumpeted by fame. In other words, God is an equal opportunity lender when it comes to joy, when it comes to happiness. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. You can't buy it. You can't produce it. It only comes from seeking him. I'm going to put it a different way. Happiness is always found as a byproduct of seeking God. Have you ever thought about that? And of course, you've probably heard this phrase, hey, stuff won't make you happy. Well, what will? Happiness is a byproduct of seeking God. Tim Keller says it like this, happiness can never be found directly. This is wisdom that's coming from Psalm 1. Happiness can never be found directly. In other words, if we make happiness our goal, I just want you to be happy. If we make happiness our goal, we'll never find it in a deep, lasting way. If that's all we're running after, if that's all we're seeking after, we will never find it in a deep, lasting way. But if we make seeking God our goal, if we say, I'm going to hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness and his word, when we find God, we will receive happiness. We'll receive joy as a byproduct of seeking the one who can actually give it to us. Wow. That is mind-blowing and powerful. So we have to stop worrying so much about happiness, and we have to start worrying more about pleasing God and knowing him, and in turn, we'll get that, that joy and that contentment that we're longing for. The Bible says true happiness comes from one source, and that's God. Let's jump back into the psalm. Psalm 1, look at verse 3 here. It says, that person, talking about the person who seeks God, talking about the person who's blessed, That person is like a a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. See, second is this. Following God leads us to prosper. Following God leads us to prosper. Now, we have to unpack that a little bit, don't we? Because we can take that in a lot of different directions. You notice how in this analogy, God is comparing a righteous person, somebody who knows him, somebody who follows him to a tree. And again, this was written thousands of years ago, so we have to get in the, the mindset of being in the Middle East thousands of years ago. A tree was such a blessing to people who could find a tree. Uh, and, and God references a particular type of tree. Do you see what type of tree he's talking about? A, a tree is a blessing because it can be used for so many things. This is a fruit-bearing tree. And so not only does a tree give shade, in the middle of the Middle East where the sun is beating down on people, not only does a tree give rest, a tree gives nourishment. A fruit-bearing tree gives you something to sustain yourself. And, and, and the Bible talks about how this tree is planted somewhere. It's planted intentionally. And so when God invites us to know him and follow him and we become that blessed person, all of a sudden we're like this tree that's intentionally planted in a specific place in order to do what? In order to bless other people. See, see God allows us to be blessed, to be joyful, to be happy, to prosper 
And when we do, we automatically become a blessing to other people when we're planted in a particular place. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about that word planted, and I was even thinking about my life and and Sarah's life. And sometimes people even ask the question, like, why are you still in Bowling Green, Ohio? I came here a long time ago as a student, and, and my plans were never to stay here and to be here over 20 years later. And so sometimes I'll be talking to people, and they're like, wait, why do you live in Bowling Green again? We don't have family here. Like, there's there's nothing really that draws us here, but we believe that God has literally planted us here to be a blessing. That's part of the calling that he's put on our life. That's what we believe that we get to be part of this church, being a blessing to the campus and the city and to this area. He's planted us here to try to make an impact and be a blessing and try to help feed other people and try to help give other people rest and nourishment as God has given that to us. And so I wonder about you. Could, could you look at your life and thinking of that analogy, would you feel like God's planted you somewhere so that you can be a blessing for the people that he's brought you into contact with? And it doesn't have to be for over 20 years. Maybe some of us are just in a season where we find ourselves in this place. But God has you there for a reason. He has planted you there. And so what does it look like to be a blessing to the people around you? And this verse can oftentimes be pretty confusing, right? Especially when we take it out of context because it says, whatever they do, they will prosper. And so sometimes people misuse this concept to to kind of treat God like this this cosmic Santa Claus or this cosmic sugar daddy. And and they think that the, the more spiritual you are, the richer you will be. Sometimes people use verses like this in ways that simply aren't what they were meant to be used at. See this, this example of a tree is telling us that when our roots go down deep, when we're rooted in the gospel, there's power there. It's a tree that's planted intentionally by a stream. Well, well, why does that matter? Because if a tree's planted by a stream, it doesn't matter what season it is. You can be in a season of drought, and there may not be any rain coming down in that moment, but the tree's roots go deep, and they get nourishment from the stream. And so the season, whether you're in a season where there's, there's lots of rain or whether you're in a season of a drought, that tree is still able to produce fruit and grow and be a blessing because its survival is based not on all the circumstances above ground, but what's going on below ground, the roots. And I think the analogy for us is, is pretty clear. If we're waiting on our circumstances to bring us joy, if we're waiting on uh, that, that season of rain, then, then that season may come and that season may go. And there'll be moments where we may feel fulfilled, but there'll also be moments where we're pretty empty and when we're in seasons of drought. And, and, and if we don't have roots that go down deep, it's very easy to kind of wither and die if you go through a season of drought. But when you have roots that go down into that living water, that stream of living water, then all of a sudden, you can start to flourish. I wonder if you've ever caught yourself saying this, either in your head or out loud. Have you ever caught yourself saying something along the lines of, once I find that perfect person for me, then I'll be happy. Once I find that, that guy or that girl that I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life, that's, then I'll be happy. Or, or once I, maybe if you're a student, once I graduate and get my dream job, well, well then, I'll, then I'll feel blessed then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled. Or once I have that certain amount of money, you know, it's maybe different for all of us, but once my bank account reaches this number, 
then, then I can kind of be at rest and be at peace and be happy and be content. Or once I have kids, then I can be happy. My life will be complete. And we all know those are not bad things, right? Those are great things. Those are blessings that God gives us. But listen, if we are counting on them to be our source of joy, our source of happiness, then we will find ourselves coming up short and being empty oftentimes. And we'll be on this emotional, spiritual roller coaster. And yet, if we have roots that go deep, then and only then will we be able to outlast the, the different seasons that come in and out of our life. I remember when I had uh, my daughter, Allison, when Sarah, I didn't have her. My wife actually had her. <laughs> we had her together. Uh, different teaching. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting sidetracked here. All right. So <laughs> I, remember, uh, I remember Allison, our, our oldest, she's 13, and I remember uh, being in the, in the hospital with her the, the first night, you know. She's just this little baby. You know, she's a few hours old, and, um, you know, if, if you're a parent, you've been in this situation, you can send your, your kid to the nursery to sleep, or you can keep them in your room, and with our first, our second and third one, we're like, yeah, we need to sleep, but our first one, I'm like, no, I'm keeping her here with us, and so we had her here in the room with us, and I just had her laying on my chest all night, and I was just praying. I didn't sleep. I was just praying, and I was thinking about her life. I was thinking about what type of weapons I need to get for the first date. I was thinking about all these different things, and and I was just praying for her, though, and I, that really did come to my mind. I was just praying for her for all the, the different things that, that she was going to experience in life. And I was just praying, God, I want what's best for this little girl. I love her so much. I care for her so much. God, I, I want you to do powerful things in her life. And, and I remember in the, the quietness of the middle of the night, God kind of just speaking to my heart. And it's one of the, the clearest moments I've had with God. And God just said, I, that's great that you love this girl. That's great that you want to be a great dad. But if you want to be the best dad for her, love me. <laughs> love me. Don't make it about her. I mean, love her, care for her. But the best thing you can do for your kid, for your daughter, is to just fall more and more and more in love with me. It's like, wow, that is so true. And I've seen that play out over and over again. Because listen, if we put all of our contentment and all of our joy or peace in great things, then we set ourselves up for disappointment. Because people will disappoint us. Circumstances will disappoint us. As amazing as my daughter is, she will disappoint me and I will disappoint her. And so I can't have everything that I base my life on, my happiness, be based in a spouse or a kid or a job because it will end up be disappointing. In fact, that's a great recipe for a dysfunctional relationship. If I'm expecting that, that my, my kids make me happy, what type of pressure do I put on them? But if I'm running to God and saying, God, you are the one who brings me joy. You are the one who brings me true peace. Then and only then do we start to experience that true joy and that true happiness. See, when, when, when we worship God for who he is, we start to live this abundant life that he has to offer us. I want to close with this. As we jump back into to Psalm 1 and verse 4, it says this. It says, not so with the wicked. All right, so, so the psalmist is kind of building a case for what it looks like to, to be somebody who lives an abundant life. And in verse 4, it says this, not so with the wicked. 
They're like chaff that blows away in the wind. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, it leads to destruction. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. And third and finally is this. Wickedness exists, and it has consequences. That's, that's almost a hard phrase to say in 2020, isn't it? That there is such a thing as wickedness. In our world, in our culture, it's really hard for us to say that anything would be objectively wrong or wicked. And yet, as we look at the pages of the Bible, we're told that oftentimes there are people who choose to follow God. And those people walk in righteousness. And there are people who choose to walk away from God. And those people walk in wickedness and brokenness. And the people who walk in righteousness experience happiness and joy. And the people who walk in wickedness, while may have momentary, momentary moments of happiness and, and excitement, in the long term it leads to destruction. You see, our, our source of morality, our source of what is right or wrong, it can't be based on our preferences. It can't be based on our opinions. It can't be based on, on what the world says around us. It has to be based on God's standards. The Bible says that don't just pursue whatever makes you happy. When we run after whatever makes us happy, oftentimes we end up running to things that are not of God, but pursue God. And let that be your compass and let that be your guide. You know, as we close, I want to just think about Jesus. As we, we, we think about this psalm and this wisdom song and, and, it, and how it teaches us to walk with God, we can't help but be drawn to Jesus, who read these very psalms, who, who oftentimes cited these very psalms, and who lived out. The, the wisdom that these psalms talked about. And, and in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, it says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, there's that word again, joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, as I think about this psalm, I think about Jesus. Jesus lived this perfect life, and his roots were planted deep into the ground so that his life wasn't based on his circumstances. He went through amazing experiences. He went through some mountaintop experiences in his life where people were following him and crying out for him, and he obviously went through experiences of pain and suffering where he was betrayed, where he was tortured, where he was crucified, for you and for me. And yet the author of Hebrews tells us that even in his lowest moment, as he was preparing for the, the cross, he had joy set before him. And so he endured the cross as a blessed man, as a, as a happy man, because he knew deep down that he was pleasing God. And that's what the gospel is all about. It invites us to be reunited with God. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me, for our sins, for our wickedness that every single one of us has partaken in. And yet he defeated the cross. He rose from the dead. 
and he defeated the grave, and now he invites every single one of us to worship him. We have a choice. We have, uh, the pages of Scripture tell us we have a choice. Do we want to be blessed and walk in the way of the wise, or do we want to choose to walk away from God? Either way, God loves and cares for us, and he's made a way for us. And so our hope and our prayer is that every single one of us would seek God as we look at the wisdom that the Psalms bring us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to spend a little time worshiping together today. God, we thank you for the truth that comes from your word and the power that comes from knowing you. And God, as we think about this idea of blessing, of joy, of happiness, God, would you help us to trust you and nothing else? There's so many things that our world has to offer that we can be tempted to run after, and yet your word tells us that only you will bring us what we're searching for. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked, but who delights in the way of the Lord. Uh, We want to be those people. So God, help us to follow you. Help us to know you and help us to trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.